If you're looking for the next best thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com. It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to episode number 77 of the Great Writers Share podcast, where every week we hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join us on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is the 1st of March and we'll jump straight in with my personal update. It's been a bit of a weird few weeks, um, but I have some news in terms of my non-fiction side of things for long-term listeners of the show. Know that I've been working on a book all about productivity, which is very much still in progress, still trying to nail that one down and juggle that around other stuff, which is incredibly ironic given the title of the book. Um, but I want it to be as comprehensive and as fulfilling for readers as possible. But I have also, as of last week, had a lightning strike moment with uh, an idea for another book. And so this week I am dedicating to writing that entire book. It's not going to be a big book, but it's definitely going to be a book that I want to get out into the world and which I think will benefit a lot of people because one of the biggest problems I've seen over the last couple of months in terms of authors that I'm working with my boot camp, with my book coaching, is that there's a very, very sort of wide knowledge gap between how you write a book and how you publish a book in terms of you know, what steps do you need to go through in order to publish that book? How do you market it? What are the editors that you use? You know, what are the things that we don't know that we don't know? So I've been working with a few authors on overcoming those mental barriers. And within that, I have then sown the seeds for um, a book, which, well, originally it was a reader magnet that I had uh, up for free on my website. And I still have up for free on my website, which fills in those gaps. But what I have decided to do is turn that into a much more comprehensive version of a book that I can then hand to people and it's your it's essentially just a blueprint that shows you how to self-publish a book it doesn't show you how to write the book but it shows you every step of uh conception of your idea to publishing it includes sort of sourcing covers editing it looks at how to market your book beta readers all that kind of stuff so it's that getting the engine going and getting down into the actual nitty-gritty of what self-publishing is um and because it's something that's already formulated and in my head, I don't expect that book to take too long to write. I'm actually going to try and see if I can just write the first draft at least in a week and then go into polishing and sending it to people and seeing where that can go. So um, keep an eye out for that. That should be, well, I'll have more news on that in the next couple of weeks when I speak to you guys. But yeah, that's quite exciting uh, in terms of the nonfiction side of things. In terms of my fiction, I'm still chipping away at my horror novella, uh, the one that's based off of the book cover that I found that was just beautiful and it's nice because this this book is one that I am purely writing for myself. So I am playing with language. I am being slow with it. I'm being deliberate with it. I'm really, really trying to set a mood and an atmosphere. 
and it's quite different to a lot of the stuff that I've written before. It's a lot more, um, I don't know what the word is, I guess, uh, sort of a bit more literary maybe than some of my faster paced pulp stuff that uh, I've written. So um, I'm excited to, you know, keep keep this going and see where it goes. But mostly I'm just really, really enjoying the process of writing it and the, the words are coming to be quite nicely. So chipping away at that, making it happen. Um, but yeah, I need to work out what I'm going to do with it and when I'm going to look at publishing. So stick around and I'll update you on that one. Today's guest, I have the incredible Susie Vidori. Susie Vidori is a book coach. She's an author. She's, you know, one of these people that just dabbles in everything to do with writerdom. Um, and today we speak about things such as uh, how you can build an ice rink in your backyard. Uh, we talk about how to make it past the half books. So when you're beginning to write and try and get your ideas down, we end up with a whole host of half books behind us. How do you get past that stage and finish your book? We talk about uh, diversifying income in order to become a full-time author and we also talk about book coaching because Susie is also a book coach and I found that very interesting. One note on that was this interview was actually recorded uh, end of November um, so some of the references to sort of my career and to other things sort of politically and pandemic wise uh, might be a little bit behind but the rest of the subject is very much uh, informed or very very useful to uh, any stage of, of where you're coming out with your writing so stick around for that. Or actually, let's just dive straight into it and we will go straight into the interview with the one and the only Susie Vidori. Susie Vidori is a book coach, editor, public speaker and the Calgary best-selling author of The Fountain Series, a fantastical young adult series which has received two Aurora nominations for Best Young Adult Novel as well as five stars and a bronze medallion for Reader's Favourite Book Awards. Susie lives in Calgary, Canada, with her husband and three children, and is an involved member in the writing community. She is a programme manager for Calgary's When Words Collide, teaches writing at Alexandra Writer Centre Society, and is a touring member of the Young Alberta Book Society. Susie is also the founder of Write It Creative Writing Programmes in Schools. Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I'm excited to have you. There's a, I mean, just from that introduction, there's a lot that we can dive into, but I am going to jump straight into, because I am massively curious about this, and we touched on this a little bit before we started recording. Tell us and my listeners about the ice rink. <laughs> Tell us about the ice rink. So yes. I'm in Canada, as we, as we were just talking about. So to me, building an ice rink in the backyard is something that people do. Usually we don't, um, because um, and so to be clear, an ice rink to play hockey or to skate on, and my kids <laughs> also play, my girls play a game called ringette, which none of you have probably heard of, but basically like ice hockey, except with a ring and a stick instead of, a, anyways, okay. things we do in Canada. But yes, it's a very complicated process. People have their own ways of kludging together an ice rink. We've never done it because most years um, we travel a lot with our kids. So um, my kids are 14, 12, and 9. And the older two especially travel Western Canada. So we're on planes with them usually for their hockey and ringette, um, but not this year. So, and there's no sports. And just as of yesterday, there's no longer any school. So I'm going to build this thing this weekend. You basically take a hose, you fill it, you make this liner thing, this shell, which is the, the secret sauce that everybody has <laughs> their own way of doing. Then you fill it with water and then you let it freeze. And that's it. So we'll see. I love it. I love it so much. I'm, I'm trying to picture that in my own garden now and just trying to work out if I can make that happen in the UK, but probably I'll, I'll post not pictures if it works. I won't if it doesn't. 
I'm, I'm excited to see that. But I mean, yeah, um, like I say, welcome to the show. I'd love to uh, get you to just inform my listeners a little bit about your writing journey, where you came from, how you got to the point where you are, sort of where did it all begin? Give us a, a brief overview of what made Susie Badori get to where she is now. Um, so I came to writing in a kind of a different way, which is part of what I love about the writing industry is that writers come from all places. I was a business executive for 20 years uh, before I started doing all things writing. And on maternity leave with my third child, I sat down and I started writing what would later become The Fountain, which was my first published novel. It took me two and a half years to write and two more years to find a publisher and figure out the, the writing business. Um, I built a huge network and writing community in that process. And nine years later, because she's nine now, um, <laughs> I now do all things writing full time, which this year has been totally different again from last year because of the pandemic. So it's been it's been a process, but I love learning about writers and how they're coming to it and how they're making a living. It's fascinating to me. Oh, absolutely. I definitely want to dig into some of the uh, adaptations you might have had to make during this year, particularly. But um, talk to me a little bit about, so when you first put fingers to keyboard and you started the story that would later become The Fountain, what was going through your head around that time when you first approached the page? Because obviously these are these are the moments that later on for people like yourself, who's a book coach who teaches us on to other writers, people like myself who speak to other writers and try and impart this wisdom. It's a very critical moment and it makes and breaks a lot of writers. So what was it, do you think, about your process, what you started doing that meant that you kept going and, and continued to, you know, nine years later where you're full time and doing all this stuff? Well, I, I tend to be pretty tenacious, <laughs> so, so I have that going for me. Um, I was determined I was going to write this book, even if it wasn't any good, but it did turn out to be good, I guess. Um, I mean, yeah, but yeah, I, it. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I came at it the way that a lot of people come at writing, which is like, I'm an excellent writer. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I say that facetiously, but at the time. Um, I had been doing business writing for a long time. I wrote press releases and I wrote business briefs and things in my job. Um, so, you know, technically I had a lot of grammar chops and I could spell. And so I thought that I could write a book. Um, but the first drafts of that were quite rambly and, and that's okay. And I actually just dug in and learned it. Um, I did work with a book coach on my very first book, which is part of why I ended up giving back in this capacity because it was immensely helpful um, to just be able to talk through every week or every month or however often we met um, the chapters that I was doing, what I, what I was trying to accomplish with the whole thing and to actually make it flow. Um, so I had written, uh, prior to that, I had written a lot of half books. I, I joke about that, especially when I present to kids. I talk about writing a lot of half books in my teens and I ask them, do you know what a half book is? And they're all like, no, I don't know what that, and that's basically a book you don't finish. So <laughs> um, I knew how to write the beginning of a book. I didn't know how to get it all the way to the end. And so part of my journey has been really understanding that process as an operations professional background. I like to know, like, what are all the things? There are so many theories on how to put a book together. I've learned most of them <laughs> mm. and kind of cobbled it together so that I can do that much more quickly. And I have a system for doing that with clients as well. So you've got different facets of your author business. Like you say, you're full time. But not all of that. I think a lot of people have a misconception that full-time author means that, you know, it's full-time creativity, it's full-time fiction royalties, it's it's made entirely from words. But 
you've diversified and managed to get all of these little revenue streams based off of different elements of the writing process. Um, I don't know if you're happy to sort of just touch on a little bit of how all these different income streams came to you over time and what that evolution might have looked like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is one of the things I love talking about with writers and figuring it out is how do you make that transition from, okay, writing is my hobby to, oh my gosh, I actually am making a living. So for me, I had the dream after the Westwood. So the Fountain is book one in the Fountain series and the book two is, is um, the Westwoods. And that came out um, in 2017. And after that came out, I started getting asked to speak and teach and tour. Um, so a lot of school visits, speaking at writers conferences, those types of things and sharing my story and sharing tips about writing and to teach at our local writing center, which is Alexander Writers here in Calgary. Um, I started doing all of these things and started making money doing it. And it was taking up a lot of time. Um, and I also really enjoy doing in-person appearances. So I'll go to an event like Comic-Con and speak there, but then also have a booth and just meet readers and, you know, sell books and, and talk to people and find books and, and meet people. So all of these things just were kind of coming at me. And so I had it in my brain at that time, like, what if there was a way to make all of this into a job? <laughs> um, so I knew that I always wanted to write a book, but I just never, I talk about writing in my teens and I was never told that you could be a job, like a writer as a job. That was not part of the aptitude test or whatever that um, I went to business school. I worked on Wall Street like this was not on my radar that I could actually make this into a job. But after the second book came out, I was spending my evenings and weekends supporting or going out and being an author. Plus, I was taking days off. So I took, I think there was one month where I sat down and compared schedules with my husband because we both traveled for work and I was like, okay, so in April, I know it's a lot, but I plan to take seven vacation days off to go and work stuff as an author. And <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> like, when are we going on vacation? What is this? So yeah. my family at some point was saying, so my plan in my brain, it made a lot of sense to um, do these things evenings and weekends and eventually build up my income to be the same as my day job. That was my plan. It wasn't a good plan. And then when it was the same, then I would quit my day job. Well, that doesn't make sense. You at some point have to sort of cut bait and, uh, and take the leap. And so I was able to do that um, about two and a half years ago now. Well, congratulations. Uh, and, and just being able to book. Now at the beginning of the pandemic, um, at the beginning of March, 2020, I was booked out about seven months solid as a speaker. And I was really proud of that because that was, you know, two and a half years in the making. I was like, whoa, I don't have to hustle. I know what's coming. I can write and I can just go and do these events. And then it all disappeared overnight. Right. So I pivoted again this year. Um, the good news is I had a backlist of clients waiting for editing and waiting for book coaching. Um, I dove in and, and did my certification for book coaching this year, which through Author Accelerator, which was something I kind of eyed. Um, but it was a minor piece of what I was doing. And then I was able to sort of step into that. And now I'm working with a lot of people writing their, their books and coaching them through that process, which I love. Um, so I've just kind of pivoted and we'll see where it goes. Like every year has been really different as an author. So mm. no, there's definitely a lot of uh, parallels that I'm picking up to my journey. I've, I've recently got into the uh, book coaching game only about, Ooh. yeah, only about uh, four or five weeks ago. I'm working with my first client at the minute um rolling and just sort of experimenting in 
experimenting comes out wrong but you know what i mean sort of like just going through that that um first client process and trying to get everything right for for next clients and stuff but for for people that aren't aware of what a book coach is are you happy to give a bit of a, an overview of how that works yeah, I know absolutely. It's, it's still quite a, should, a new you thing you can jump in here because you're coaching as well so hmm. the book coaching is a relatively new profession and really, it came about because um, publishers and agents used to play this role where they would find somebody with a promising writing and coddle them through from idea conception right through help them write it and everything else. But as with lots of things in this world, their jobs have been compressed and they no longer do that. Um, to get into publishing now or to get a book published with a big five, let's say, you really have to have it done. It has to be done perfect <laughs> to be able to get the attention I speak to agents who you know receive 8,000 queries a year 8,000 queries they don't read them all they can't so you better be able to grab them pretty darn quick right um so yeah so a book coach is basically as you know but for the listeners out mm. there a book coach is basically like a personal trainer for your own writing life um so we deal with all kinds of things in my practice I deal with three things project management um Editing and writing support, so teaching. So not just handing it back corrected, but actually teaching and structuring and things like that. All of the, that theory is the big brunt of that work. And then emotional support. So writing a book is hard. <laughs> it's not easy. And we all have these little doubt weasels sitting on our shoulders saying like, is it good enough? Is anybody going to want to read this? Mm. What's going on? Um, so to, be, to have somebody there in your corner every week um, or every other week, depending on how often we meet, it's talking you through, hey, you know, this is this is good, or this needs work, or whatever, being brutally honest about it, but also being supportive and showing a path forward is a way to get a book done, because otherwise, it can be really overwhelming. Mm. <laughs> Even now, it can be overwhelming, right? Absolutely. I find uh, one of the big things I see in a lot of writers, and I, I get a lot of messages and stuff um, just from writer friends, and they'll, they'll have a problem in their book. And they'll try and explain it to you as if you can come up with some kind of fix or help them brainstorm. And sometimes that works. But there's nothing that I've found really that's more powerful than having someone who knows the story you're trying to write while you're trying to write it. So not someone that overtakes it and, and tells you what to write, but someone who can listen and actually understands what you're trying to achieve with it. I think that's the most powerful thing I found at this point is that I'm, I'm deep in the story with the client and they're coming up with all these ideas, they're throwing them all around. And it's not just like I've got, had a five minute glimpse and I have to help make you a decision. You've got the full landscape of everything. And it's a, it's collaborative, but it's obviously weighted more towards the client in terms of making their project come alive. Yes, absolutely. And you make a really good point because that is confusing for some people. Um, and sometimes when I get interviewed about book coaching, they're like, what's the difference between that and the ghostwriter or co-writer? Mm. I'm like, oh, I'm not writing their book. No. Like, I'm, I'm giving them, teaching them to fish, not giving yes. them the fish, teaching them to fish. Yeah. Um, so yeah, giving them all the tools and tricks and everything and working with them. Now there's times when we brainstorm something and some of my ideas make it in they're great, but there's times when they think my ideas are terrible and that's okay too, right? It's their yeah. book at the end of the day. And so I like to say it's, it's getting that book exploding in my client's minds. Cause it, for those of you who want to write a book and haven't done it yet, you know what I'm talking about. It's there. It's so vivid. It's going to be so good. And then you sit down and you're like, Hmm, that doesn't, <laughs> what I just wrote has, doesn't do this justice to mm -hmm. what's in my head. And, and so if you guys are listening, you can't see, but I'm like actually making this bizarre <laughs> gesture about my head exploding, but 
yeah, how do we get that onto the page? And so um, it's it, for different clients, it's a different process, um, but there's lots of standardized features in that I help them de define what they're trying to say and how they're trying to say it. And then I teach them along the way um, the different ways to structure that and the different ways to write it so that their reader actually gets that experience and hopefully sees that exact same image um, that the writer intended or that the writer is up at night or excited about, right? That's yeah. <laughs> and you said that you had a, a book coach back in 2015 when you were working on that first book. Um, what was that? How did, how did that come around? What was that experience like for you? Um, so what was interesting about that experience was, you know, like... Like many people, when I came to writing, it's intimidating to dip your toe into the writing community. So, you know, I might have had lots of success in other areas of my life, um, but I wasn't, quote unquote, a writer yet. Um, and so asking people for help was difficult. So I took a few courses just to make sure that I kind of had some knowledge of that. And I met an instructor who also... Um, provided editing, but I didn't have anything to edit yet. So then we kind of struck up this coaching arrangement, which was awesome. Um, and I still work with him on certain projects. But um, I think, you know, I looked around when I finished that draft, I looked around in my province here in Canada for a community that I could figure out how to get this published, right? Like, how do you go from know how do you do it and I looked around I didn't really find anything for young adult fantasy which is what I was writing there was an organization called the young Alberta book society but you had to be a published author and now I tour with them so you know full nice. circle <laughs> um, but at the time it's not for new writers and so but I did find this multi-genre organization that had a festival here in Calgary um, in August every year and it was April and I had to go back to work because as I mentioned I was on maternity leave when I started this process so I had to go back to work and so I had to get it published before I went back to work because like otherwise I'd probably forget right that was my plan and so I went to this board meeting for when words collide um, which is the festival here in Calgary and I kind of lurked because it was open board meetings I thought well I'll, I'm gonna go because I'm going to hear what it's about, see if I want to go and meet some writers and maybe ask them, hey, how do I get published, right? That's what you want to ask. How do I get published? I got this book. It's perfect. It wasn't. Um, <laughs> it's perfect. And how, now I need to get it published. How do I do that? Anyway, so I went to this meeting and I, they put me on the spot and I had to introduce myself. So I'm like, hey, um, you know, I wrote this young adult book. I worked with this book coach um, who's also in the young adult space. And I, and then I said, you know, I'm looking to, I'm asking, do you guys have young adult programming? How does that work? How do I get involved? Um, how can I go to your festival, basically? And they were like, you want young adult programming? Great. You're now in charge of young adult programming. That's what wow. they said to me. And I was like, pardon? <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was actually hilarious. We still tell the story. It was eight years ago now. And, uh, and yeah, so, so I said, well, no, I, I don't think you understand. Like I'm here to ask you about how to get involved. I don't know anybody in young adult. And they're like, well, you know more than we, you mentioned your book coach, you met this other person. They're like, you know more than we do. So go for it. Now they didn't know me. They didn't know that I was a vice president of operations and that I plan things for a living and that I'm very organized. So they gave me this list and of 30 topics that they had brainstormed as a team because they really wanted young adult programming. And they're like, here's some stuff that we think might be interesting. So they said, well, take a look and see, you know, talk to people and see if you can fill some of these topics. 
So I went away. I was still on maternity leave. So I had time when my kids all napped at the same time. Like, <laughs> the good old we days. don't do that anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> Stop napping. Now we need the rink. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's their nap. Go play hockey. Um, so yeah, so I took this list of 30 topics and I said, okay, here's an opportunity, right? I want to meet people in young adults. So I Googled the people in young adults in my area um, and beyond my area. And I invited them all to the festival and I filled the 30 topics with panelists. And then I went back to the board meeting the next month. I said, okay, I filled the 30 topics. We have 60 authors in young adult coming to the festival and they're all presenting. And they went, pardon? Wow. <laughs> that wasn't what I was supposed to do, by the way. That wasn't what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to pick one or two things and um, fill those topics. So they said, well, usually we only have like three hours of programming for young adults in the whole weekend of this festival. And they were like, but this is so awesome. I can't believe you just did that. And I was super embarrassed because I thought I was supposed to do that. I don't know. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I don't know how it works. That's what, that's what happens to me in a boardroom. Somebody gives me something to do, I go do it. You make right? sure it gets done. Yeah. So anyway, so they, they said, so the chairman of the committee, uh, Randy McCharles, he said, this is great. He said, we will rent another boardroom and we will have a track that runs the entire weekend, 30 hours of programming and young adults. And eight years later, we still have that. Amazing. Um, I don't, I'm not as involved. Like it kind of runs itself now because we have regular people that come back and they tell us what they want to present and it's awesome. Um, so yeah, so I kind of managed to build my own community here, which was, which was really instrumental. It's where, it's where I eventually met my publisher. It's where I met my agent um, through those connections and being able to build that. And it's the reason that I give back as much as I can. And I do, I present there and I present other places and give back into that community because so many people help me along the way. And I appreciate that so much, but I expected, so your original question was, what did I what was the experience like? Well, yes, yeah. I expected that because I was an unknown writer, that people wouldn't give me the time of day, um, that nobody would help me, that they would say, well, what are you doing? Like, this is our thing. We went to school for this or whatever. Um, who are you? And that isn't, that isn't what I experienced. I experienced a very welcoming writers community, people who are willing to give me advice, people who are willing to refer me to other people, um, people who are willing to help and to feed off the excitement that I had about the series and the and the vision that I had um, for this community. So yeah, it was amazing and um, still going. I love it. And I think that's um, a key point that you've you've picked up on there is that as a as a fledgling writer, there is a caution there's nerves around approaching people in the community putting yourself forward as a writer because at that point i think you're struggling with your identity as a writer because you've all, all it is for you is this hobby this idea this passion and i think what a lot of people who want to get into this kind of profession or if, as a hobby is full-time whatever you want to do what people don't get is that the the act of becoming a writer is by just taking the time to write and immersing yourself in these communities and surrounding yourself by people and Oftentimes I do get stories of people who, who tried to speak to writers and they have been quite dismissive, but in the most broad sense, most of the people that I speak to in, in this line of work are lovely and they're happy to lend an ear as long as obviously there's respect and you approach them in the right way and you're not like a dick, that, that often helps. But like, um, I, there just tends to be a general feeling of helping others in this community. And um, I was going to ask, because 
you've, you've mentioned there are a few occasions of in-person community, which number one, I, I, I think from what I've seen seems to be rarer. Um, that might just be because at the minute I'm not really immersed in too many physical communities, number one, because of COVID, but number two, because where I live is quite a small base. Um, how, how do online communities play into what you do? Yeah. So, I mean, that's been a big shift this year to be mm-hmm. quite honest. Um, I, I'm a young adult writer and most of my fans are teens. Um, I do have adult readers as well, but a lot of my fans are teens and still prefer physical books and they're not in those online communities. Um, so I do, I did do, <laughs> I did um, a lot of in-person events, um, which is unusual for writers. Most writers, when they talk about selling books, they're talking about um, actually you know, going online and getting ads together and, you know, selling eBooks for the most part, kids still prefer to have a physical book and they love to get them signed. Um, So at events over the years, I've sold, you know, or signed over 5,000 copies of my series, just, just physically being somewhere. Um, So that's been a huge part of my strategy and and it's changed, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, this year I, I launched book three in the series this year uh, wall of wishes and I did an online launch and it's not the same type of energy it's not the same thing um, here in Calgary in terms of writers we do have a huge physical presence um, I'm a member of um, at least four different local communities of which they used to meet in person all the time uh, and now the, all of that's transitioned online and I try to stay as involved as I can and in some ways it's been awesome because I can actually join communities that aren't local and I've done that. Um, And we can also have people that aren't local and we're getting more people that maybe it was difficult for them to get physically there. But I actually find that I don't get that same energy out of, you know, going and being in a room full of writers Mm -hmm. is a pretty amazing experience. You know, that, you know, that pun that you think of in a crowd and you think you're so funny and you know, you shouldn't say it out loud because nobody's (laughs) going to get it. Somebody in that room says it before I do. Yeah. And that's when you know that you're in, in the right room with writers, right? Like that play on words or whatever that you're like, oh, nobody's my family's not going to get that. I shouldn't say it out loud. Those guys are saying them to you. Um, so people that think like you, I really enjoy that. And, and for me right now, I do a lot of my work online. So to ask to then log in every evening for a social event, which we have, um, online, I'm like, I got to go sit in my office in front of my computer again. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Right. So yeah. I, I have mixed feelings about online. Um, I've actually brought a lot of my things. I launched a vlog about uh, five weeks ago now for that very purpose, because I just want to start putting content out there. So I can't present, but I can record it. Um, so I've got a, a weekly newsletter going out now that is writing tips and on writing and writing life. Um, and sharing my experiences, but um, I used to have an outlet to do that because I could just go and speak to different writers groups, and now I don't. So, um, yeah, so that's been a big change for me. Hmm. I don't know. How are you finding it? Oh, flipping the tables. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, most of so most of my income used to come from uh, my own fiction and ghost writing until around February, March time, in which I started to sort of transition more into the author services arena um and i mean it's not really shifted too much for me because most of my work was on the computer i am missing those sort of in-person interactions definitely and there were a couple of conferences this year that i i had to miss out on but 
it's you know the, the state of the world but um i think it, it's just one of those situations where we're all just doing the best that we can and although it isn't really a sufficient replacement for you know human contact crowded zoom rooms offer something i guess <laughs> like you do get a chance to meet a lot of people from different walks of life that you obviously wouldn't be able to otherwise like i do have i do speak with a lot of people from um across your side of the pond over on on different zoom meetings and stuff so it's uh, yeah i think we're we're in a lucky position where a lot of the world has gone digital enough and technology has advanced enough that we can continue going but i am very much looking forward to uh, those in-person events and actually being able to see people and be in those rooms again absolutely so i actually agreed to i did one in-person event this year and it was Last week and the week before, it was an outdoor Christmas market. Now, I'm going to remind you guys that I live in Canada. And um, we used the Celsius. And it was minus 20. And one of those eight days that I was there, so it was four days one week and four days the next week. And uh, it was grueling. um, But I just so needed to do something. I needed to be out there once this year, um, you know, new book out to have somewhere where people could come. I wore um, a full face shield outside um, for most of it on the really cold days. I couldn't wear the face shield because it was fogging up so much. (laughs) It was like covered in frost. I couldn't see. Um, But yeah, I just, I did one event and it was outdoors and uh, it worked out really well, but it was physically exhausting, but also exhilarating because I just love being out there with readers and talking to them and to have you know, a teenager run up to you and be like, ah, there's a third book. <laughs> like, and just be excited to see that. Um, I just needed that. So I did it. Um, but I, I hope next year, <laughs> there's no, I don't have to do an outdoor Christmas market. There was literally one day of the eight um, when I didn't even open my, like we're in these stall things. It was, it was a former horse racing place so Mm. there are horse stalls but you know I had mine decorated for Christmas you make it beautiful whatever you go out there and stand there and talk to people about books right and um yeah so I literally couldn't take my tarp down that day because you tarp it at night and I had to put all my books away because they were being snowed on it was snowing Mm. inside like it was kind of outside there's only three walls so it was like blowing snow on (laughs) on the books it was physically bizarre like I was just remember, like I was just thinking, like, what am I doing? But at the same time, you're out there, <laughs> you're talking. You gotta to get people your fix. And, yeah, yeah, you gotta. Well, you gotta be accessible to people because that's, you know, part of the experience, especially for young readers, to to meet authors and to be there, um, to be able to access things is is pretty awesome. Mm. So, See, this is really fun. interesting because uh, the ethos that. <laughs> In, in a good way, <laughs> obviously. <clears throat> the ethos that I see a lot in um, the author community is there's a lot of emphasis on reaching new readers digitally. And obviously we're playing, we're currently playing in a market where a lot of things are digital. We can sell wherever the hell we want. Um, and everyone is all about chasing those numbers because obviously numbers equal income. But you seem to have this this very strong focus on these in-person events and trying to sort of curate those strong um, reader fans so I'm just wondering how you work that balance in your own business and, and how and what the results look like from that. Yeah, I think, well, I, I'm not sure it was a good strategy <laughs> looking back, like uh, pandemic wise, it's not the best strategy. Um, for me, 
the reason that I do it that way is I think, you know, I like to joke and I actually was talking with one of my clients today. I have an extroverted client, a uh, book coaching client, but there aren't that many extroverted authors out there. So when, when talking about how to build your own personal work life or career in like, I talk about playing to your strengths, right? Like what yeah. are your strengths? And because people will come to me and go like, I really want to do this Susie, but I see what you're doing and there's no way, like, I don't want to get up in front of an auditorium full of writers and talk about stuff. And I don't want to be out there, you know, giving, I don't want to, I want to sit behind my table at a signing because I never even bring a chair. Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, I think it's, it's really about playing to your strengths. And so for me, as somebody who gets energy from talking to people, um, that to me isn't difficult. Um, how does that play in? Well, my online presence is bolstered because of the things that I'm doing in person, if that makes sense. So you get content. Um, if I give a talk somewhere and it's recorded, I can post that. Um, I can post like, hey, I was here. Hey, come find me here. I can post stuff and people can see what you're doing in the community to make a difference. So I think it takes all types of um, different strategies to build a career as an author. And if you're serious about, you know, because when I first quit my day job, you know, and I still have experienced writers are saying, well, that's nice that, you know, you have a, a solid family that can support you so that you don't have to make any money. And I'm like, no, no, I plan to make money. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, that's not the plan is to just be a creative and and to not make money like I'm selling like my books are selling and I'm giving services and I'm trying to make a living doing this so yeah I think that there's lots of different ways that you can go about it mm. but yeah my strategy was not traditional and this year it kind of bit me in the butt right because <laughs> then you end up having to go online but. yeah and you, you found that way to adapt so what did that um what what were maybe some of the more surprising parts of transitioning? Were there maybe obstacles that you thought were there that weren't and vice versa? How how did you manage to overcome that barrier of one strategy into the other? I imagine that obviously 20 years as a business exec prepares you somewhat for this kind of arena, but you know, the, the, the world moves on. Yeah. And I think, I think that's part of it. Just what you said, Daniel, was what exactly I would say is, is that I've worked with start. And it's, so 20 years as a business executive and for the last 10 of that, I worked as a chief operating officer at startups and the name of the game is pivot, right? So it's like, <laughs> you take a moment to grieve, like this sucks, right? It sucks. And in March um, was really bizarre because, you know, you spend all this time as a speaker, how you get speaking engagements. I mean, it takes a long time to build up relationships and to do a few things maybe for free or to pitch some things. And then, you know, you're sending out pitches all the time. Um, proposals basically like hey I'd like to teach this uh this semester and then they say that sounds great and then they don't fill the class and then it doesn't happen right so there's a lot of sort of stops and starts or um I want to present at your um at your conference and here's what I'm going to talk about and so you're pitching all the time and I do young young writers conferences as well as writers conferences for adults um, across Alberta and touring. Okay, I want to tour. Here's my proposal. You line this all up. And so what was happening was all of these organizations were scrambling at the beginning of the pandemic um, because everything was canceled and they were trying to hang on. And so it actually created this huge bubble of work for mm. me because I was re they some of them 
some of them were canceled completely and some of them went online um, but in a different format and so they asked you to repitch so you've already landed the work and now you have to repitch to get the same work back in a different format for less pay right because they don't feel that they need to pay you the same um, if you're just <laughs> spending an hour online versus traveling to Northern Alberta mm -hmm. to do a half day at a school, right? So yeah, so it was, it was this huge bubble of work and I was finding, and then there were some new projects happening as well, um, online projects and, and I'm pitching for those. And so I, I spent all of March and April basically writing proposals to try to save work that I'd already won. Um, and then, I got most of it back and then it just wasn't as rewarding, right? Like if you're some of the young writers, only one of the four young writers conference or one of the three young writers conferences I had booked in the spring went forward with an online component, but you know, they say, turn off your cameras and turn off your, you know, turn off your mic. So that, and so you have zero feedback. I have no oh, idea yeah. if the kids <laughs> loved it or not. Um, so yeah, so I just started turning some of that down. Um, and saying, okay, this isn't going to work. I need to find a different way to connect. Um, because again, you're shouting into the void. You need to be able to build relationships. And I get excited about teaching people about writing. Um, so, yeah. And that's more on the writing and coaching and speaking side mm -hmm. than on the, on the book sales side. But mm -hmm. that, that was my experience. Yeah. So yeah, I just had to find some other way to do it. <laughs> I was like, this isn't working. Pivot. That, that's the key word there, pivot. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about your latest release, which you, you briefly mentioned earlier, Well of Wishes, which is book three of the Fountain series. Um, the first book was published in 2015, if I've got my dates correct. And obviously this yeah. one came out this year. So how has publishing or the experience of publishing changed for you over that sort of half a decade? Yeah, yeah half a decade. Wow, now I feel old. No, um, <laughs> definitely. No, it I mean, has I, I also been, published though. in 2015 my first novel. <laughs> yeah, it has been. And it has changed so much. Um, I'm so the Fountain series um, was is published with a small Canadian publisher. Um, so they were just starting out. They only publish YA. It's a conglomerate between an author here in Alberta and an editor out of New York. Um, immensely, they were exactly the right publisher that I needed at that moment. Um, and it was fun to help them build their business as they were going along as well. Um, so I think for both of us, it was a super experience. So, but a lot of Canadian publishers have gone out of business in the last five years, like a lot <laughs> and, and more to come, right. Especially in science fiction and fantasy um, mm. it's, it's being absolutely obliterated. And it's just, there's printing. So for us, um, the doll, the exchange rate, changed dramatically just after I published my first book, which meant that we had to change printing press, like actual printing strategies, because before there was no printing presses really in Canada, or there were, but they weren't competitive. So everything was being printed out of the US. So from a business standpoint, um, I helped them renegotiate all of their printing contracts because they weren't making any money. Um, so we moved all of their, like for the publisher, we actually moved their printing to Canada, which made a big difference. So that was a huge physical difference in publishing, but it's also pushed a lot of publishers out of business. Um, but yeah, in terms of that, since then I'm now agented. 
So um, my, I've written two more books that are currently on submission. And so the process has slowed down <laughs> quite <laughs> a bit um, for me, but just because I switched the way that I'm doing that. Um, so I just fill that, uh, fill up that pipeline and then hopefully they'll all sell at once and then I'll have lots of books out there. But. Fingers crossed, bring it all in. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, we are unfortunately coming close to time. So I'm going to ask one more question that I ask all of my guests on the show before they leave. Um, and that question is, why do you as Susie Vidori write? Why do I write? Yes. Because I can't not write. No, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. And it's true. Why do I write? You know what? I feel like I have something to say to the world, especially um, in YA. There's, there's that group of kids that are really strong readers, but they aren't quite ready to read adult books yet that need good content. And I really just love connecting with them um, and writing about relationships and having them see some real world views on, on what complex personal relationships look like. And so, you know, they're, they're housed in magic or fantasy or, or things. But I think the reason I have a lot of adult readers too is because I really write about those relationships and I, I really enjoy that, exploring that piece that with, my, with my readers. So. I love it, beautiful. Okay, we are gonna go into the quick fire round now. Which All is right, let me just ten, this is a quick stretch. Quick stretch. Oh. It's 10 questions. I'm going to throw at you as quickly as possible. Uh, it's all in good fun. So if you can't answer Can anything, I fail? Or you get is, there, is there like a pass fail? There's, there's, no, there's no pass fail. It's just if, uh, I mean, you can pass if, if any of the questions stump you, but like I say, just give it your best shot and we'll, we'll see where we go. Are you ready? Ready. What is your favorite movie? Uh, Serendipity. If you could live as one of your characters for a day, who would it be? I would, one of my characters, mm -hmm. oh, I would be Ms. Crick, the crazy old English teacher, because she just does whatever she wants and she hoards things. <laughs> so she has lots of valuable stuff in her apartment. I want to be her. All the things. What time do you normally wake in the morning? What time do I wake up in the morning? Mm -hmm. Oh, um, 6.45. Jungles or deserts? Jungles. If you could have any non-conventional animal as a pet, what pet would it be? Non-conventional animal. I'm not a big pet person. That's a toughie. I think I would have um, a bookworm. Can I have a bookworm? Yeah. You can have whatever you want. It's non-conventional. <laughs> <laughs> what one place would you love to go that you've never visited? Africa. What star sign are you? Gemini. What's your favorite dessert to order at a restaurant? Anything chocolate. Do you have a favorite board game? I love Scrabble, but nobody will play with me. <laughs> if you had to choose <laughs> one book of yours to survive an apocalypse, which has destroyed all of the others, which one book would you choose? Of mine, I would definitely choose The Fountain. It started this whole snowball rolling and it stays with me. I love it. Beautiful. And that's 10 questions. One bonus question. Where can my listeners find out everything about yourself and all that you're working on? Amazing. You can find me at suzyvidori.com. That's S-U-Z-Y-V-A-D-O-R-I.com. And if you look right on my homepage and sign up for my newsletter, then you will get my weekly inspired writing, which is news and tips about writing and writing life. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show, Susie. It's been a blast. Thank you for having me. This was super fun.
No worries. And thank you everyone for listening and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Join us next week when Holly will be speaking to Miranda O. Don't forget, you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writer Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritershare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritershare. Until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, y'all, this is Kenya, creative director and co-founder of Domino Sound. And this is Alexandra De Palma, executive producer and co-founder of Domino Sound. And we're a queer, disabled, Black woman-owned podcast production company and network, creating authentic, inclusive, provocative content. We just launched Domino Presents, which is a new series of special audio projects. The premiere episode features the founders of Poppy Juice, the queer art collective throwing the hottest parties in New York City and around the world. We also recommend The Cheat Code, our hit 10-episode audio soap opera surrounding a love affair. Think Love and Hip Hop meets The Affair meets The Sopranos. Follow us on IG at dominosoundco to keep up. And listen to our shows on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Domino Sound. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.